Welcome to the Friendly Rant Podcast. My name is Seth Friend, and uh, today I have on a very special guest. His name is Dan Blythe. Dan Blythe has been a uh, working with youth ministry in the United Kingdom since 21 years old, where he pastored a church, worked his way up, and worked at uh, Hillsong London, and now he is the global youth director for Alpha. How are you, man? Doing well. Thanks so much for having me with you, Seth. Love it. Man, it's it's a pleasure. So I think the first thing that everybody wants to know is why should they even consider watching soccer in America? <laughs> well, why do you love it? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have like three ad breaks all the way through for starters. You know, that is my biggest. That is like literally my biggest like convincing thing. I'm like, dude, you get you get 45 minutes straight of sports without any advertisements. So it is. It's it's incredible. There's not as many goals though, so I understand why people aren't as keen on it. Well, you know what's funny is that if we in football, in American football, we made the score like one, two, three, like it probably would probably look a little similar, you know, instead of seven, 21, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's awesome. Well, Dan, tell me a little bit about your testimony. How did you end up, you know, getting into ministry and, and, and how did you get to where you're at now? Yeah, man, for sure. Um, it was a crazy story, really. And I mean, I say crazy, it's crazy to me. But uh, when I was like 11 years old, mom and dad got divorced. Uh, both of them sort of atheists. My mom had had like a Catholic upbringing, but she didn't have like a personal sort of relationship with Jesus. And then um, when they got divorced, they both separately like encountered God, like born again Christians, started going to their local church. And so every weekend, whether I was with my mom or my dad, I was getting taken to church. And even though I could see God was real because their life was like just changed, for me, all I saw was the rules, like thou shalt not rather than thou shalt, what I can't do rather than what I can do. And so it wasn't, it wasn't for me. But the thing is, because my parents were like new Christians, they really wanted me to be a Christian and live the Christian way. So I lived this like secret life with my mates um, and I just would never tell my parents what was really going on in my life. And then um, age 18, I just got a one-way ticket to Australia, got all my birthday money together just to get away. I just wanted to party hard and um, not live under the, like, the rules and the behavior modification that my parents sort of wanted me to live by. Got to Australia, and out of everyone I could have met there, I met some Christians. And um, I didn't know they were Christian at first. We went boxing, we went surfing, watched the Rugby World Cup, uh, where England won it, which was good. And then they said, do you want to come to church? And um, it's funny because I did want to go to church because they had something different about them. Like I lived for the weekend, they lived for something much greater. And uh, they were just normal, average people like myself, but there was definitely something different about them. So I wanted to find out like, you know, what it was that they had. And I went to church, and the worship was great, the teaching was great, but I tell you, it was uh, their lifestyle which modeled to me uh, what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. So like, I put my hand up and uh, made that decision, but I didn't really understand what it meant. But I just kept going back week after week, and I was just surrounded by people who like just gave me so much like grace and love. And um, started Bible college like two months later, uh, probably wasn't ready for it. Um, but again, even though I kept like doing stuff, which was getting me called into the principal's office, he's like, if you're doing Bible college, you can't actually do this and you can't do that. I was like, I'm so sorry. But again, they just always showed me so much grace and so much love. Um, that church was C3 in Australia, Christian Seat Church, Oxford Falls. And I think if it wasn't for them and, and their leadership of just grace and love, I don't think I'll be where I am today. Man, that's such an incredible testimony. What do you think it was that really man broke your heart to like recognize sin and repent like what was it hanging out with these people that drew you in from somebody that you had an aversion to the gospel and to christ and this behavior modification what opened your eyes to 
to, you know, want to take that step? I mean, yeah, the answer is the Holy Spirit, but you know, like what was it about the way that these people loved on you that just man made you say like, you know what, there's something different here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing is, is like I'd spent all my teenage years like wrecking my life. And so some of those things, those habits, those patterns, um, as much as I wanted to, um, they didn't just drop off me overnight, you know, and I remember, uh, you know, we'd go out in the evening with like, you know, this group of Christians and I would just like go up to all the girls, start dancing with them and they would like move away from me. But they did it in such like a real nice considerate way where they didn't make me feel like an absolute like numpty numpty in England just means like you know full and um, yeah. you know there was just there was just something about it wasn't anything they said it was just the way they acted they always made me feel like I was I was accepted I belonged even though I, I had loads of mess and then I think it was when I got called into the office because I had a big party and it just ended up really bad you know that's always the thing with alcohol it's not so much it's the drinking it's the consequence from the drinking uh, and I'm sure. you know, in England like drinking and the pub culture is like the same as the coffee culture in America so it's like it's okay to have a beer here yeah. and I'm not I'm not anti having beers or anything but what yeah. what, what I realized is I grew up in a place where it was just so normal every Friday night just to get so smashed. And what it was was just is escapism. It was just like a sense mm. of just uh, getting away from um, all the rubbish in life. And when I got to a point in my life when I didn't need to escape anything because I had encountered Jesus and he had kind of healed me on a lot of stuff, I didn't need that, that I, I guess, going out and substances to like make me get to that place of like, you know, freedom because I kind of encountered that on a spiritual journey. Um, I'd love to say that it happened on the first Sunday. It didn't. It actually happened on like over a whole year of Bible college. But mm. still, like at the end of that first year of Bible college, I knew I wanted to give my life to go into ministry because if this is what it would be like for me, if I could help one young person encounter the grace of God like I had, then that's what I wanted to give my life to. Do you kind of feel like that that's what led you down the road of youth ministry? Like, is that when you entered Bible college, is that kind of the route you knew you wanted to take? Or, you know, what was your mindset going into Bible college? Yeah, well, I mean, my first year was like, there's no way I'm ever going into ministry. Uh, you know, like I, I didn't know much about the Bible. I definitely was not an mm -hmm. example to anyone. So I'm like, why would I ever go into ministry? But then the second year, everything changed for me. And I, and I felt that call to go into ministry. And, uh, and it was exactly that. It was, it was youth, specifically youth. If I could help young people who have got so much guilt and shame. So guilt is like, I made a mistake. Shame is like, I am the mistake. And so if we could mm -hmm. just help young people with their guilt and shame, to to obviously just have an opportunity to encounter his grace that's that's the thing that i wanted to give my life to awesome so how many years were you in bible college in australia for before you came back to the uk yeah two years so went backpacking when i was 18 did two years of bible college came back when i was 20 had my 21st birthday here and then started a ministry age 21 what was it like wrestling with that call to ministry? So like, I know that there's probably people listening to this, man, where they serve in their local church and, you know, what were some of the things that you began to wrestle with where you were like, you know what, I, I want to dedicate my life to this full time. Do you remember that moment? Yeah. I mean, the biggest wrestle was that, um, everything I saw of ministry was, um, public speaking. And when I say public speaking, I mean, even speaking in front of a small group for 10 people and that like <clears throat> just that that caused me so much fear i never wanted to do anything in front of anyone and even put my hand up sometimes in class and you know the, the same yeah. people you're with every day 
I could see my heart mm. beating through my shirt. Like that's how much fear I had from speaking in front of people. And I think, um, you know, what I realized is when it comes to the call of God, you will face the fears to step into what he has for you. And uh, if it's not a call of God, then you won't face the fear. You'll just stay in that comfort zone. Mm. But I think for me, the more I felt the call, I knew I had to face that fear of being able to yeah. say yes to praying for someone or speaking in front of 10 people or inviting someone from work to church. It was, it was always those little things, but it was always about facing fear. Man, what would you say that made, like, go back to your first year as working in ministry, what is the, what would you say are some of the biggest things you have to wrestle with in ministry in the UK? And the reason why I ask is because I have a lot of friends in Europe. I got a friend that lives in Poland right now. I'm thinking Krakow and, um, he's from Zimbabwe studying abroad, got a job at Boeing. So he's hanging out in Europe for a little bit, but I went and I lived in Barcelona for a summer right before I came back and I uh, got engaged to my now wife. And so when I was over there, man, I loved it. Like I love, you know, European culture like you said like it's very relational like i remember i would go and i'd play pickup basketball at the park de la barceloneta on the beach i don't know if you've ever been to barcelona but they have this old um, basketball court that they built during the 96 olympics and it looks like a cathedral kind of like an old roman coliseum or whatever but just the structure and it's just a public court you just walk and start playing and i met this guy and all summer man like he wasn't a believer but all summer we would go and we would play ball together and you know got to witness to him and share the gospel with him and it was just super super relational. But when I was over there, I don't know, you know, UK and Spain, radically different. But, you know, I found that some of the things that people most wrestled with is that there's just this longing for community. Um, it's misplaced identity. What were some of the things that you wrestled with in those first years of ministry that is just kind of like the I guess the commonality of, of what people wrestle with in the UK. Yeah, for sure, man. Such a good question. And uh, I have been to Barcelona, but I haven't been to that basketball court. So I definitely need to go man, back there and awesome. hit it up. <laughs> yeah. You know where the W Hotel is? That giant sail hotel? Yeah. So it's like if you're standing there and you're facing it and the sea is on your left and the city's on your right, it's like... There's like this like a body weight gym, like where they do like the dips and pull-ups and everything. And it's like, you know, completely public. And then you go up those steps and it's like right there in this little park. And man, I, I loved that spot. It was awesome. Mate, definitely going to have to go there. So yeah, I yeah. think, um, you know, in answer to your question, so I went from getting saved, becoming a Christian in C3 church, which, you know, did Bible college there. And then I came back and got a job with um, an evangelical free church. And some of the leaders were like, Calvinist, but I would say probably more hyper-Calvinist, which means uh, they have a belief where they don't need to do evangelism. They don't need to tell anyone else about their mm. faith because everyone's kind of yeah. chosen, and so they don't need to do that. Some of them were like sensationists, so they didn't believe in like the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and so, you know, I guess everything that I learned in Bible college uh, was not really believed at this church. And so mm. I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't be here. Um, but then when I um, got to hang out with the young people, I saw young people off the local estate, uh, which means, you know, they, they're in council houses, which means they live off benefits. And I saw young people yeah. who had grown up in the church and they were just like together hanging out. And there was so much unity there. I, I just, my heart broke for those 30 young people. So I knew I had to take the job. But my hardest thing was wrestling with a, a different theology to what I had been exposed to before. Um, but sure. God, God just... Um, definitely knew what he was doing because they made me preach like expository every single week not mm. topical i had to go through the, the verses line by line and um as much as i found that like frustrating in the moment it set me up so well for my future because i got to understand the bible in a whole nother way i think the re the problem is that i really 
um, because I was a new Christian, all my Bible college days, as good as they were, I just didn't take it in because I wasn't in that place of, of wanting to absorb mm-hmm. that. Whereas when I got into ministry, I was like, oh, I've only had studied probably at Bible college. But thankfully, again, I was surrounded by people who had different theology, but they loved the Bible. And they kept pushing me into the Bible, again, showing me grace and love. And if I preached anything which was off, they'd sit me down and have a coffee in like the best way. And so, mm-hmm. again, like sometimes when you step into something which you don't understand, um, God's always doing something behind the scene. There's always a reason for it, I think. Yeah, it seems like God definitely like gave you the perfect mixture of like setting you up to be so effective. Not only like giving you like the ability to depend on the spirit in such a deep way, you know, that people of a more charismatic camp would lean on. But then you have expository preaching, man. If you couple that together, are you familiar with a guy named Jim Shaddix? No. So he is, uh, he was my preaching professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He wrote a book called Power in the Pulpit. I think I have a, no, it's downstairs. I thought I had a copy next to me. So yeah, it's called Power in the Pulpit. And dude, like the main thing that he preaches is like, if you do not depend upon the spirit in your expository preaching, dude, it's useless. Like, you know, it's like Paul. It's like, if I speak with all of this angelical excellence or angelic eloquence, but don't have love, then it's just a clanging symbol. And man, like that is so awesome that God like prepared you in that way. So now you're the global director of, of alpha. And so explain that a little bit to me, what alpha is and, and, and what they do. Yeah. I mean, Alpha started just as a course. The Alpha course is probably what it's more known for. And it's a course for like Christians to invite their non-Christian mates to where you can have discussions. So I don't know what your experience is, but if I say to a friend, come to church and they're going to sit there while someone is preaching at them, you know, as much as like proclamation is great. My, my friends aren't going to be up for that. They don't want to sit there and be preached at. But if you say, do you want to come to a place where... They probably have questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly, where there's discussion. And uh, in the Alpha logo, it is a question mark. So it's a place for all your questions, mm-hmm. and it's a place for like going back and forth. And um, it's, it's not actually about um, converting people. Some people think, you know, it's just there to convert people. It's not. It's giving people an opportunity to explore faith and Christianity and prayer mm-hmm. in the Bible. And if they're not converted, that's totally fine. We just want to give everyone an opportunity mm. to have a discussion around faith man that's awesome so how did you 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 kind of lean a lot so you just started a podcast recently through alpha correct it's called circles and spaces yeah man that's awesome and i and you kind of have like you've done like these youth tv shows i've seen before man like on uh, there was like on the hillsong channel and everything and now you have one that's going on with alpha where's your love for media come from and like you're set up like i love it i'll try to explain it. it's like you're just sitting on a couch and you propose these questions and you like let youth and young people just talk about it and you kind of mediate it which i just found so interesting like what an interesting idea like where did that come from yeah um well i think what we realize is that um more than ever young people today have got something to say you know if you think back to like anyone who's on the planet age 74 to 94 they're the silent generation called the silent generation because when they were younger they were seen but not heard so they weren't allowed to have a voice you go through you know the baby boomers because there was a boom after the war then you got gen x called gen x because they didn't want to be labeled then you got gen y who are millennials which is my generation and we're the generation mm-hmm. that spoke about making change but really didn't make too much change but then you got gen z who are the kids of gen x and gen z are making like huge change like macro change like i don't know what it's like in mm-hmm. the states but when it was like the protests here like when you know the death of george floyd and the black Lives matter protests like you look around at the yeah. at crowd it was like predominantly gen z a lot of teenagers a lot there. of young people yeah and so what do you think it is when in your sorry i don't mean to interrupt you in your conversations with with these 
these people with these uh, Gen Zers, these young kids, like, what do you think it is that's really breaking their heart to want to go out and, and, and make change? I think um, social media has connected people with other people and they're like, I guess they're hearing the hurts of different people around the world and if they can shine a light on an injustice and um, turn it around then that's what they want to do. So, you know, a lot of young people I, I talk to and, and this is why we did the Got Questions um, content that you're referring to when we're on the couch. We realized that the questions we're talking about are not the questions that they're asking at the moment. So we wanted to give them space mm-hmm. and we said, what questions do you want to talk about? It's your show. And they said um, mm. anti-racism, gender equality, uh, mental health, uh, social media, uh, spirituality, politics. Like They just went through a whole list. And then we just let mm. them have the conversation. And the biggest thing, I think, at the moment is that being the older generations, we think young, younger generations need to listen to us because we've got the wisdom and the knowledge, which is true. We do have the wisdom, the knowledge, and the yeah. experience. But what we also got to understand is that if we don't listen to the younger generation, there won't be any trust there and relationship there because trust and relationship is built in a two-way conversation. And so by listening to young people, you, what it does is it puts value on them, builds a relationship, so hopefully that conversation between the generations can continue. Yeah, that's something I've noticed in in ministry now is that, um, you know, people don't want to know or they don't care what you know until they know that you care. And it's almost like if you don't establish this mentor like relationship where it's just like, listen, I want to know what you have to say. And you're going to hear what I have to say. And obviously, I have some wisdom and experience behind my life. So I want to guide you through this. But I feel like, you know, social media you know, it makes us so overly critical because we're being exposed to people's like growth and development, you know? So like, for example, if somebody takes a stance on something publicly and they post it, dude, it could blow up. And, you know, next thing you know, they're viral and apologizing on the media and they're like, man, I didn't mean for it to get this bad, you know? And so it's like, it's such a blessing because it's connected, like it's connected us, it's connected so many people. But at the same time, it's like, I think we tend to be so overly critical on the next generation when they're trying to figure things out with, you know, this little little brick right here that can connect them to the entire world, you know, and, 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 and when they make a mistake, there's no grace. So do you feel like your experience, you know, with, um, those people in Australia and going to Bible college and just having so much grace showed upon you that that kind of is like what propels you in ministry to help younger people? Yeah, I, I think so. I think, um, when it comes to like our behavior, um, becoming more like Christ, um, it's different for every single individual. For someone, they might be able to just experience so much freedom that there's there's a lot of change for others it might take more time and the only way you know where people are at is by sitting down and discipling them and helping them with their next step and that only comes through trust because you don't pour out your heart to absolutely anyone only people that you trust um and so i, I think you know a lot of people especially with social media you know we're, we're portraying um a sort of um a certain element of our life but it's not our whole whole life and i think if there's any way the enemy is going to use social media i guess for a negative it'd be definitely stripping i guess the identity away from young people causing them to have multiple identities and i guess that's one of the things that we're hearing like this is who i am with my parents this is who i am online this is who i am with my friends this is and it's like like a chameleon always changing colors to fit in and i think um you know if we can just create a safe space and i don't know if i'm going off on a tangent here of what the question was so sorry no go for it 
Mm. But if we keep creating these safe spaces where they can just feel like they can be themselves and know that the moment they say something, um, which maybe we don't agree with as leaders, they're not going to get shut down or shut out or excluded. That that is that is so important because I think a lot of young people fear yeah. that if they tell you what they really thought or if they tell you what they really did or if they tell you what they really looked at or if they told you told you what really happened with their friend at school today, like they're going to be excluded and they're not going to be allowed to be part mm. of what they're part of. And so if we can build that safe space, I think that is you know going to be so important for the, the next generation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important that, you know, the church step up and become that safe space. You know, it makes sense why so many younger people are finding these communities. I mean, Facebook has launched so many ad campaigns about groups and communities, and it's because that's what people are craving. So do you think that in, you know, your time in media, you know, do you think that the church is doing a good job with media and, and kind of being out there and on, on all the socials, you know, touching base with people? What do you think? I mean, it's really hard to say, you know, is the church doing a good job? Because at the end of the day, church is full of people like me, um, broken, yeah. not perfect people. So there'll be times when we get things right and there'll be times when we get things wrong. I think, um, you know, I think back to Tyndale, who got the Bible and translated it. Um, so printed it, not translated it. He just printed it so everyone had access to it. And for that, he got mm. burnt. He got burnt alive for that. He gave his life so that everyone could yeah. have access to the Bible. And I see the church doing similar stuff now through technology, like pouring a lot of money, giving a lot of sacrifice so that people have got access to the Bible. And if you think about it now, more people than ever before have got access to the Bible and resources and translations. And so I think the church is doing a great job when it comes to uh, that element of it. I think the difference would be the church, big C, and then individuals of the church. So, you know, like ultimately our own individual social media is the thing which gets judged, you know, a lot. Um, And, Sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong. Often we think when it comes to our own social media, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus use social media? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, Jesus was perfect. And we've got to remember that, that he would have used it mm-hmm. in a perfect way. Uh, what we probably should be thinking is how would the disciples have used social media? Um, you <laughs> it's know, a good way. They all would have been talking about like who's the greatest. So they definitely would have been, you know. Uh, obsessed with who had a big following and influence, uh, whether they, they had the blue ticks or not. Um, you know, Peter would have been like, you know, really passionate one day and then, you know, radio silence, you know, the next. And you start to look at the life of the disciples, you start to see sort of glimpses of how a lot of individuals, uh, you know, do use it. Mm. I think one of the best things we can do is not compare how you use it to somebody else. Um, so you just, you get your own conviction about how to use your social media and, and stick to that and then have people around you who are going to help you with your blind spots um, and maybe point out things that you're not seeing and I always like sit down with my wife and sometimes I, I think to her oh, I hope this isn't being insecure but I'm like if I post this does it come across like this and uh, mm. and it's like you know for her she's like you don't need to run every post past me I'm like no no I know that I just I want to make sure that um, there's something I'm, I'm missing in this post because for me everything I post I want it to be encouraging I want it to bring hope I want it to be sharing a story so you know when I when I ask her kind of she kind of, she kind of helps me with that um, but I think a lot of the time when it's your individual social media, church social media, there's like a communications team which is thinking really hard about the messaging. Individuals, it's more impulsive in the moment, and that's why sometimes we post things that we later regret. Yeah, no, and listen, you're not alone with that. I've asked my wife plenty of times, like, hey, if I put, does this make sense? Like, I think last night on my uh, my Instagram story, so I'm, I'm finishing seminary, man. I'm learning Hebrew, and I was sitting there, and I was like, 
this is just really cool. I think I, I'm, I'm not even going to try and read the Hebrew or whatever, but I basically translate it and it was from everlasting to everlasting, right? But the wooden translation was out of the everlasting until the everlasting. I was like, wow, that's like so rich. Like, you know, it's moving out of, but how long is it moving out? It's moving until the everlasting, which is unending. So it's like, it just, it exp- expounded my understanding of that. And I was like, I want to post this, but like, am I going to look like a jerk? Like, you know, Hey, like I'm reading Hebrew, you know what I mean? And she was like, no. And then I recorded it and she was like, you know, Hey, you, you didn't sound like yourself. Like, you, you know, you, you sounded different. And I was just like, did I? And I went back and listened. I was like, Oh yeah, I was trying to sound like, like the tone of my voice that I was like more, I don't know, like more deep or whatever. And so I was like, okay, whatever. I'll just say it normally. You know, so like, I'm totally with you. And I agree with that, that, you know, uh, my wife always says that, uh, Instagram is the highlight reel of people's lives. And I just, it's something that I've always really clung to is that it's so easy to compare ourselves and to compare church, like even church ministries, man, they might compare themselves to another one that they have a rock in social media, or we might even do it like, man, is my aesthetic right? Does it look good? Like, or whatever, you know? And I sit there and I just think to myself, this is just a highlight of people's lives. Like nobody's going to post the photo or the selfie of them, you know, having a terrible day. So it's just like, you know, I think if you take it with that grain of salt, what do you think it is, you know, kind of going back to when we talked about the Gen Z making this macro change, what do you think is like at the forefront of this activism? Because I've noticed in some of the videos that you've posted with, with, with young people that they talk a lot about, you know, social activism. Is that a prominent thing in the UK for students to be involved in? Yeah, definitely is. I mean, I think in the UK, climate change would be one of the number one things, um, you know, okay. that they're really kind of passionate about. There's a girl called Greta Thunberg who throughout her teenage years, you know, protested and rallied. And because of that, you know, inspired a generation that it's possible and that you do have a voice. I think the, the, the big shift, I think the, the younger generation has always cared, I think, um, you know, about injustice. Like, I mean, I think we all do as humans, but sometimes we feel powerless. So we don't do anything about it. But with social media giving them a platform and giving them a voice and gen z being the biggest population on the planet so gen z is 1.2 billion um and so that's 25 percent of the world's population at the moment so they're the largest generation on the planet at the moment uh, you know majority wow. majority of them i think it's 95 percent of them have a smartphone so they've got this they've got this access to have a voice and to share and to make something which was like meant to be kept quiet or in the dark a light shone on it so it's like not acceptable and i think I think they're just they enjoy being part of something i think as human beings we're created mm. to be part of something bigger than ourselves and uh we're created to be have a sense of belonging and maybe if you don't have that sense of belonging in your church you'll find it somewhere else and a lot of these like social activist movements it's a sense of belonging i'm part of something i'm doing something with my mm. life it brings me purpose and significance and so you know who knows what the motive is you know for one young person it would be because they really, sure. really care about the climate change um for another young person it might be just that they want to do something with their life, you know. But um, I think yeah. either way, um, it is incredible seeing what they do. The, the funny thing is, is that this generation were labeled the snowflake generation. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Uh, it's oh, yeah, absolutely. Because they're flaky, um, easily offended. Uh, they ghost people on the phone. They don't say what they're going to do. So it's a negative. But we know the only person who can label um, something that they've created the only person who can label something is someone who's created that thing. 
So your mm. car was labeled by the creator, your medicine was labeled by the creator. And we know ultimately the only person who can label this generation is God for he created them. So every time I see a negative um, slant on a generation, I'll always listen to what they're trying to say. But then I always think, you know, what's God saying? And I love talking about snowflakes now because over here in England, when like thousands of snowflakes are together, they like shut down shops and streets, um, mm. like they bring around change. And when you think about millions of snowflakes falling together, they cause what's called an avalanche and an avalanche literally just disrupts everything and like changes the surface of the whole like situation around you and i think when i when i pray about this generation and and what i'm seeing them doing and what i believe they're going to be continuing to do in the future it's like snowflakes yeah but like together they're like going to bring so much macro change and uh like literally like disrupt everything around us and it might be painful and awkward um you know when when the death of george floyd and the protests like me and my family went to the protests but we found everything awkward because our deepest friends were in so much pain and we'd never spoken about the pain with them and we didn't know what mm. to say. And so the whole thing felt awkward and uncomfortable for us. But when you put it, when you think about, you know, the devastation of what happened um, to people from centuries, like I, I can handle a bit of awkwardness and a bit of uncomfortableness so I can like listen and learn and grow, you know, when it comes to, you know, anti-racism. Um, but I guess, um, you know, w- when it comes to all of that kind of stuff, like, this generation is like, I believe, hopefully bringing around a change that will last and impact, you know, a lot more generations to come. Yeah, absolutely, man. I think the thing that I think about is that the last time I feel like we saw this kind of shift in, in at least in American context, I'm not sure um, as much with English recent history, but in the 1960s, you know, you see all of these movements going on, you know, you got Woodstock and you got the, the hippie movement. I do air quotes there, but, you know, these were people that were rallying around similar things, civil rights, all of this. But I feel like the thing that was missed, which I feel like is something you're kind of alluding to, is that there wasn't much mentorship. You know, it was kind of like you had the boomers and then the the Gen X, which would be, you know, the night. Well, would boomers be 1960s? Um, well, the, 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 the parents for the 1960s, right? It was kind of like, my son's a long-haired hippie. I don't want anything to do with him. Whereas now, if the, the millennials could then look at the Gen Zers and say, okay, you know, at least in the American perspective, there doesn't seem much to be much middle-of-the-road approach. And the things that I've noticed in student ministry is it's just like, okay, listen, your heart and desire to see justice. So I teach eighth grade new testament at a private school up here and i look at these students and i say listen your heart to to fix injustice is coming from a place where the roman says the word of the lord is written upon your heart you know what's right and wrong even when you're a toddler you know like you don't have to teach a toddler to jack a toy from somebody you know what i mean like they they already want it you know i would say what is what do little kids say and all the students are like mine i'm like yeah exactly you didn't have to teach them that word and so the thing that i always find is like if we could couple that, act, that that activism or that longing to fix social justice and, and, then, and then funnel that to just a love for sharing the gospel, man, imagine the injustice that would change in the world. You know, I know in, in, in the UK, a big thing that y'all wrestle with is knife crime. You know, like over here we have gun violence, y'all have knife violence. And imagine if people were able to take the gospel to the streets in that, you know, your snowflake analogy 
what would, what that would do to the hatred and violence in that in that instance. And so, do you find in your ministry now is that kind of how you're wanting to funnel? You know, I don't know if funnel is the right word because that sounds like behavior modification. Encourage you want to encourage students to say, hey, listen, imagine if you took that passion and that sense of belonging to this cause and applied it to the kingdom. Do you see that kind of like starting to happen like through your ministry? Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think what's happening is that some young people are saying um, like the church should be on the front line you know, with this stuff, why aren't they? And, uh, you know, Mm. like I'm, you know, I love the local church. I'm part of a local church. And so I'm always going to be an advocate for the local church because if it wasn't for the local church, me and my family wouldn't have, I guess, experienced what we've experienced and be where we are now. And, you know, we're always going to be part of the local church, but it breaks my heart Mm -hmm. when I hear a young person say, I don't want to go because the church doesn't care about X, Y, Z, you know? So for example, Mm. if, if climate change is a big one here, the question would be, why isn't there any preaching about climate change or why isn't there any projects about climate change you know why is it all like you know outside of the sunday because to them the platform shows what you're most passionate about i think if social media posts show what the young people are passionate about when they're reading the church they're they're reading it off the plat off the platform off the preaching what are they what are they hearing and uh, they're asking the question like why aren't we talking about these things you know yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, from your background with expository preaching, you know, part of you sits there and you're like, well, you know, it's not like in Second Opinions chapter four, it says like, thou shalt not omit, omit, you know, omit carbon, you know, but you could sit there and you could preach on stewardship, you know, and I feel like that that is something that definitely should be and could be funneled into the younger generation. Again, that's something I, I've, I've actually talked about with my students in such a way where I was like, listen, like, the climate change issue is so convoluted and nuanced that like you and I right now, like we and I might not find the answer. I was like, we could be the catalyst to find the answer. I was like, but as Christians, like the Bible teaches us to be good stewards, you know? And I think that that's something that's missed. And it's almost like the answer is so simple sometimes that it kind of gets frustrating because it's like, you know, we, we want the book to tell us exactly what the answer is. But at the same time, the Lord's like, listen, be a good steward of my environment. You know, I've gave you this planet. I want you to be a blessing to it. So you talk a lot about, you know, wanting to, to use platforms and, and to elevate voices. Talk to me a little bit about the London Media Collective. Yeah, man. Um, so, you know, my journey went from saved 18, did Bible college two years, age 21, came to England, uh, started working as a local youth pastor um, and did that for four years. Loved it. You know, th- and that was with the church. Uh, like, was really like yeah. hot on like expository preaching. And so I learned so much there. Then met my wife at a festival and she was going to Hillsong. So I started um, going to Hillsong with her when we got married. And then uh, they asked me to come on staff and look after you know the generation so like youth young adults and and sort of the older age of kids i started looking after and um, that was like my dream job and me and my wife we got to lead that together and uh, to me i was wanting to do that for the rest of my life like literally every day woke up just like this is this is it you know this is and it wasn't about anything glamorous or any perks or any salary it was literally like my heart just broke for these young people then um after sort of about seven eight years on staff i got asked to um step into like communications, media, marketing, uh, creative direction. And, um, I didn't want to do it. I'm not gonna be honest. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't want to do it, but uh, I spent some time with God and 
you know, what I realized is that it was never my youth ministry. It was always God's youth ministry and uh, the, the pastor's ministry ultimately. And so mm. I learned and I felt God was teaching me, like, just don't be clingy ever to any role, any mm. responsibility, any authority. It's never it's never yours. It's always God's. And so, um, you know, my, as soon as I got asked, I said, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll do it. I didn't know why I was going to be in this like creative director role. It's not why I went to Bible college. It's not anything I ever felt, you know, God saying to me. But when I was there, uh, again, like God just showed me another way to lead a different type of person. So, you know, youth leaders love feedback. You know, you say, oh, if you do this, you can grow in your leadership and discipleship like this. Artists and creatives don't love feedback. You know, they just, they don't want any mm. feedback. You know, they just want to create and be left alone. So I, I got I to... I know that from running a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I got to learn how to lead and love um, creatives and artists um, in, in a different way. And we had the best time. And as we started to build, I guess, this kind of like community of creatives, we just started doing these these socials, these hangouts, which we called Media Collective um, or MCL, Media Collective London. And we just hired like a bar and we had different creatives um, share about their experience of their artistry and how their faith and art went hand in hand. And the thing just kind of like grew. And it was never like huge. Like, like, you know, on a scale, it's like maybe 100, 150 people. But there was like fashion designers, um, creators, photographers, videographers, all these different like artists who felt fringe, who never wanted to be, you know, locked into like a, you know, a serving, you know, I'm, I'm on a team. I'm there every Sunday. I'm this, I'm that. Like they just, they love their own little creative world. They had a mm-hmm. sense of belonging there. And um, it gave it gave voice and it gave encouragement and it gave hope. And it was like one of the most uh, incredible things. I got to be part of because I just learned so much and I um, got so much out of being part of that community. Man, what do you think it is that usually makes artists and creatives feel like they're on the fringe? Do you think it's the structure or do you think in your experience, what is it? Uh, I think that artists um, tend to always, um, I guess, rebel against the norm, against the status quo. Mm. And, you know, the church as a whole, and it's not not been not saying this is negative, would be like slow adopters. Uh, you know, like mm-hmm. it takes quite a long time for us to change and to move forward. And there probably hasn't always been um, like a, a stream for creativity within the church. You know, I know worship mm-hmm. would be you know musicians would yeah, be yeah. a big part, but I think because of the digital revolution, there's a whole new wave of creativity outside of music um, that was never really um, used in the church. You know, you could join the welcome team or the host team or I don't know, you know, kids team, but there was never really a place for all these media creatives to kind of be involved and use their gift for kind of God's glory. And so I think, um, you know, that's why for them, they found a place of like belonging there. But I am seeing more and more churches like hire like a creative pastor or a creative director, build a like a media communications team and uh, really create space for people to grow uh, in their talents. And especially this younger generation, Gen Z, they're called the super creatives because of their phones because they can create so fast, mm. so well, so oh, yeah. quick. Um, they're, they're called the super creatives. And I think, again, if the church can create space for these young creatives to, to get involved with creating stuff, I think, again, that's another great way just to, to join the different generations together. Yeah, so break that down for me because that's kind of, kind of a foreign position, you know, where in, in my context. What, what like, would be a theoretical creative pastor's job? What, would they, what, what kind of spaces would they create? Would it kind of look like similarly to what you're doing or like what, what, what do you think that would look like? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not a pastor at the moment. Like, I'm, I'm part of my right. lo- local church. And, okay. And yeah. like, I, might, I might serve there, might speak there occasionally. Um, but at the moment, like, you know, that title of pastor, like, since I stepped down at Hillsong yeah, yeah. and now stepped into this, um, this role with Alpha, I'm not a pastor. But um, the role, I was a creative pastor. And a creative pastor is someone who leads a creative team. So, like, could be worship, communications, could be video, could be online, digital, all that kind of stuff to do with anything, I guess, creative. Having yeah. said that, even though I do believe every single human being is creative, but that's another conversation for mm-hmm. another day. But let's just say, sure. let's just say artists for now. Um, so a creative pastor would lead those people. And, and when I say lead, like, so, so really pastor them, like, um, create a structure and framework so everybody is getting discipled and looked after. And so it's not just about, um, you know, uh, getting them to do things for us. It's not about them like, you know, serving, contributing, and then they go home. It's about them actually like helping them deepen in their faith, disciple them. So they're mm-hmm. growing in their relationship with God. They're using their skills and abilities to build the church. And then, um, you know, taking that whole creative artist, artistry world of the church forward. Cause I think if you look through history, it always was, you know, from, from David, the musician to, you know, um, uh, the, in, uh, uh, Vatican in Italy, you know, the, the 16th chapel with Michelangelo, he got all the glory, but he hired loads of Christian artists. You know, there's receipts, yeah. receipts of all the different names of different artists that contributed to that. And that was them trying to spit, depict, uh, depict, that's it, depict, uh, just yeah. God's goodness yeah. and his greatness, you know, through art. And so it's always been throughout history. And I think we are experiencing another wave of creativity. And uh, I think it's going to be really, really beautiful, really exciting, you know, like dis- yeah. displaying how good and great God is, but in many different ways. Yeah, I would definitely see that that there's a rise. I mean, even, you know, it seems like everybody's starting a podcast and everybody's, you know, really reaching out and, and, and trying to be creative. And one of the things that I've always talked with my friends are, you know, about that are, that are musicians or writers or whatever. I'm like, you are so gifted. Like, where else do you see this manifest in the animal kingdom? I was like, you don't see, you know, a squirrel writing a book, you know what I mean? Or, you know, whatever, a deer, you know, creating a symphony. You don't see that, you know, and it's because there's this, you know, spark of divinity in our life. We're made in the image of God that he has given this ability for us to create. And I think it's so important to create those spaces. And, and, you know, I, 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 it breaks my heart when people who are ultra talented and creative feel like there's not a place for them in the church, meaning fit this paradigm, fit this structure. You don't fit this model, get out. And it's just like, well, listen, man, like, you know, everybody, I, artists play on the edge of the sandbox. You know, if the church is a sandbox, they want to kind of look over and see like, Oh, what's the grass look like? You know what I mean? Like, and that's just how they operate. And I think it's so awesome that man through the London media collective, you were able to, um, you know, create that space for them. So there's just a couple more questions. I know you got to go, you got to go play some, some football or soccer, but you know, I, uh, I was wondering in your time in, in ministry, what's the biggest thing that you learned, man? What's God revealed to you in your, in your tenure in ministry? Yeah. Um, oh man. I mean, so much, uh, to be honest with you, like there's never a day where I feel like, um, I've got this or I'm gifted for this. Like I've always got this sense of like, you know, how am I even doing what I'm doing? Like I see it's such an honor, such a privilege. You know, do you get imposter syndrome over there in America? You heard of that? All the time. Yeah. All the time. So for me, I think in all the different things I've stepped into, I've always had imposter syndrome. I'm like, nah, surely like I'm not the guy for this. I haven't got the skills or the ability, but, um, 
God's always come through and he's always just said, like, it's not about your ability, it's my ability. And so if I put you there, I'll prepare you for it and I'll give you everything you need to do what I've asked you to do. And now I've come to the realization that actually I should love imposter syndrome. I should always be wanting to be in environments where I have imposter syndrome. Because if I don't, that means I'm comfortable and I'm not relying on God's strength, I'm relying on my own. So now I think one of the biggest things I've learned is like, be comfortable with having imposter syndrome because you know that's a place where you're going to have to rely fully on God and his strength rather than your own. Man, man, that, that is, that, that's actually pretty profound. I've never thought about it that way. Imposter syndrome has always been something that's bothered me. It's just like, why don't I feel like I should be in this space? But it makes total sense, man. You know, you got to rely on the Lord and his strength. And um, man, that, that one's going to get me to think for a little while. <laughs> well, Dan, I have enjoyed having you on the podcast so much, man. It's been an honor and a privilege. And, uh, man, I'd love to have you on in the future sometime. Yeah, thanks, Seth. And, uh, mate, I really enjoyed this chat. And I know I kind of said it to you before, but um, the way you do podcasts, like it's just real, real relational. And, um, you know, one of the things I always wrestle with is just, um, you know, what's the motive? And I don't care about anyone else's motive, but like I always just want to make sure my motive's doing the right thing for the right reason. But without a shadow of doubt, like I know your motive for this podcast is just to help people and encourage people, mate. So I just encourage you just to keep going, mate, because I think you're really inspiring. Thank you so much, man. That's a blessing. Thank you. Well, hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I pray that you would, uh, you know, come back next week and listen to the next conversation. We'll see you.